Welcome to Open Banking Expo Unplugged, bringing you the brightest minds in open banking, open finance and beyond. Hello and welcome to this episode of Open Banking Expo Unplugged with me, Ellie Duncan, Head of Editorial and Broadcast at Open Banking Expo and your host as usual. Today, I'm joined by two guests. Uh, Firstly, I have with me Tom Burton, Director of External Affairs and Public Policy at GoCardless, and Elixir Devlukia, who is Chair of the Open Finance Association, an organisation that was formed just last year, in fact, in the UK. So they join me on today's episode as the UK's open banking journey reaches something of a crossroads. In recent months, you know, we've heard that the CMA's Open Banking Roadmap has been completed, which marks the end of Charlotte Crosswell's tenure as Chair and Trustee of the Open Banking Implementation Entity. We've also had the announcement that a new trustee has been appointed, that's Marion King. Uh, So we'll come on to talk about that a little bit later. Uh, Elsewhere, I suppose we're waiting to hear the outcome from the Joint Regulatory Oversight Committee's Uh, kind of work on the future of open banking in the UK. That's something that their strategic working group has been um, focused on for the past few months. So lots coming up, lots that's happened, basically. And um, welcome to the podcast, Nilixa and Tom. Thanks, Helly. Thanks for that invitation. Not at all. Um, Tom, let's start with you. Can you kind of pinpoint some of the key dates that are coming up for the UK's open banking industry? Yeah, very happy to, and uh, uh, lovely to join you today, um, and Union Lixa. Um, thank you very much for having me on. So, yeah, uh, as you quite rightly said, there's been a number of developments recently, and we're actually coming to the end of a year-long process debating the future vision and framework for open banking in the UK. So up till now, open banking has been the result of a competition remedy imposed by the regulator on the nine largest banks. The roadmap for delivering specific open banking measures like the creation of the open banking implementation entity and establishing common standards, that was set back in 2017, but it was never a permanent solution. And so for the last 11 months, the government, regulators and industry have been exploring what a sustainable um, uh, open banking framework should look like um, and what should replace the OBI. Um, So... Hopefully, we'll see an announcement about that um, at the end of March. Uh, So that's the most important milestone uh, to to look out for. Um, And then kind of cascading out from that will be the timing of any legislation required, um, the formal establishment of a successor body to an OBI. Yeah, that that should all kind of materialize at at that key key moment. I think the, the other potential date to look out for is the end of June. So in her parting words... Charlotte Crosswell did pinpoint that as being the deadline for making firm decisions on the government's remit and funding model of OBI's successor. Otherwise, there's going to be some budgetary implications, as well as there being some lost momentum on the vision for open banking as a whole. Yeah, that that is actually an important date. You're right that Charlotte alluded to in her kind of outgoing report. Nilixa, just to add to what Tom said, were, were, have those kind of upcoming dates and deadlines been well signposted, do you think? Is the industry kind of well informed? Absolutely. I think the industry is, is well informed. I think the industry is keen to engage. We as an organisation, um, as you mentioned, launched last year, both in the UK and the EU. And in many ways, you could say that that timing was ideal because we are now in a situation in the UK where 
we are hopefully coming out of this holding pattern that we've been in and we can have traction on how we move forward in improving our current open banking ecosystem and how we can then move towards an open finance ecosystem. Obviously, as the Open Finance Association, we are very keen on ensuring that we remove the practical barriers that we have in the ecosystem today. There's changes can be made to standards, um, that can be made to processes that will improve how customer journeys look and feel, and that will help uptake of open banking. And then obviously, we're also very keen to see the conversation progress as to how we move and transition from open banking to open finance. And then if you want to look beyond that, there is, of course, the entire conversation about smart data. And the timelines that Tom has comprehensively outlined are obviously crucial milestones in that journey. And I just really also want to highlight the JROC process. That stands for the Joint Regulatory Oversight Committee. Uh, and that is made up of the regulators and HMT. And they have a key role to play in, in how open banking is going to evolve going forward. And obviously, it's incumbent on us as the industry bodies to actually help them in that journey to help them not only prioritize, but to give them the vision for the long term thinking as well as to how we move into this sort of open data ecosystem that government is so keen on. Yeah, that, that really is looking into the future, isn't it? And, and in, a, in a really positive sense, I mean. And uh, Nelixa, as I mentioned in my introduction, the OBIE now has a new trustee, Marion King. First of all, what's sort of top of her to-do list, if you like? So she, she started in that role on the 1st of February, didn't she? I'm not sure that there is one thing on the top of Marion's to-do list. I think that... She has come in at a pivotal moment in time. The SWG report is near final and will be delivered to JROC. Charlotte has left, I would say, a roadmap for a roadmap um, um, as she has moved to her new role. And I think Marion is going to have to or will be taking time to digest the mountain of information there is about open banking where it's come from, where it is now, and what it needs to do going forward. And I would think that out of the priorities, because there are many, I genuinely don't think there is one, and Tom touched upon it as well, is going to be that thinking and conversation about the future entity. Because that is what is going to set the long-term framework for how open banking operates in the UK in the years to come. Then there are also the, and an, not the ancillary points, but the more practical things. You know, is, is standards maintenance working well? And, and is there ecosystem development that has to happen? And I think there are very challenging times uh, in this space now because the OBIE does have its CMA mandate and it's not really in a position to go beyond that mandate, but we know that some of the ecosystem development and uh, standards maintenance that has to happen does sort of take it into that grey territory. But I think that we have to find a, a mechanism to address those 
because we can't wait for a future entity to deal with it. That, that puts us at least six months, eight months, 12 months, maybe 18 months down the line. I don't know what those time frames are, but we can't wait for the, some of these changes. And so we need to think about how we address those issues in the meantime. Tom, would, would you agree with that and, and, and the fact that Marion really has quite a bit to, to maybe kind of think about as she takes on this, this new role? Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, she's got a huge amount in her intray. And as is always the case, never enough time to, to, to get it done. I think that she will no doubt be keen, though, to, to go out there and engage and bring people together. That's what OBI has been very good at. And as acting as that sort of forum where all parties can come together and have a discussion about the future. And yeah, I've no doubt that as she's stepped into um, uh, Charlotte's uh, role here, um, that she will be keen to go out there and meet as many people as she, as she possibly can who've got views about the future. Uh, so I, I suspect that engagement piece will be hugely important to her. Well, let's talk then about sort of expectations, I guess, for, for the future entity, because obviously there's quite a few parties involved in the ecosystem. They've all been feeding into this JWOP SWG. And, and so perhaps, you know, coming to Unilixer first, can you explain what are some of the key areas that TPPs would like to see prioritised by the future entity? So for us at the Open Finance Association, a key priority area is the future entity. What is going to be the body that takes forward the work of the OBIE today and what is going to be its mandate going forward? One of the biggest challenges we have there is that there is no legal hook at present to give regulators a mandate to say that this industry body, uh, this future entity needs to be set up. And obviously, and I think we'll come to that later, there is the whole conversation about what the governance and funding model for that future entity should look like as well. But in addition to that, I, I touched upon the fact that we have unnecessary challenges in our open banking ecosystem. We have the problems on customer journeys that have been there for the last few years because there hasn't been any ability to move them forward and change them. We have a, a lack of adequate data about the conversion rates in open banking journeys. There is monitoring of APIs in OBIE, but actually that doesn't give you the data you need to see how well is OBIE working for end consumers. And, and that's going to be evidenced by actually tracking conversion rates. So we need to diff move to a different monitoring model. We need to move away from this parity model that we have in that open banking APIs and the functionality within the open banking ecosystem are on parity with online banking because that was the right solution for when we were implementing the PSRs. But we're several years down the line. And if we want to have a thriving open banking ecosystem, we just need it to work well. The parity principle means that if the equivalent online banking doesn't work very well, then, or the direct online banking channel doesn't work very well, your open banking channel doesn't have to work very well. That is not going to drive an uptake of open banking payments, of open banking AIS services. We need to have an open banking ecosystem 
that has well-functioning APIs, that provides good data sets, that deals with fraud risk in an appropriate way and lays a strong foundation for open finance. And I think that we also need to really look at what functionality is there. Single immediate payments are limited in their use. We need to have more choice in functionality. And I know that we'll probably talk about variable recurring payments. But the whole point of open banking was that it was a competition remedy. That's what it was. And in order to be able to provide that competition, it needs to have that foundational basis of, one, it works really well all the time, and two, it gives the functionality that allows it to compete with other types of payment methods. And so that means that we have to be on par with card payments in terms of response times, in terms of acceptance at point of sale. We also have to have that challenge to the more traditional bank payment methods. We need variable recurring payments as an alternative to direct debits. Yeah, I mean, that's um, uh, quite a long wish list. And as you say, obviously, there's a lot of unknowns and uncertainty at the moment. So Tom, from, from your point of view, um, presumably you agree with, with quite a bit of what Nalixa has said there about what, what's, what the priorities are for TPPs. Maybe we can pick up a little bit more on, on VRPs, because I know that's something that obviously GoCardless has, has been quite involved with. And uh, I guess what would you like to see when it comes from, you know, some continued momentum in, in, in that particular area? Yeah, thanks. Very quickly, go um, back to Nelix's points. Absolutely agree that getting some of the basics right and the fundamentals, toughening compliance as well with those current standards is really important. And, you know, uh, look back to a great report that Charlotte Crosswell published on the last day as uh, trustee, where she outlined a number of these issues where fixing these fundamental concerns will do a lot of good for the ecosystem in the short term. Then it's thinking more ambitiously what is it that we can do to make open banking kick on from the recurring payments? Certainly one of those areas where we would like to see some uh, development and innovation. I do think that open banking has great potential, that it should be competing across as many different use cases as possible. But if we were to find this hero use case, then it really would put rocket boosters under adoption of open banking in general. That's certainly how contactless payments took off in the UK, the use of Oyster cards on the Transport for London network, demonstrated their value to customers. We believe that making variable recurring payments available to these other use cases, people recognize things like paying tax utility bills, that could be the open banking equivalent of that. So we'd love to see some uh, uh, momentum uh, on that agenda and think that this is a fabulous opportunity for driving that forward. Just picking up those use cases, uh, Tom mentioned about paying tax. One of the biggest challenges we see in the open banking ecosystem across our members today is transaction limits. You know, across certain banks and providers, you would not be able to pay your tax necessarily with an open banking payment because it might hit a transaction limit. Um, uh, And so that, I think, is is a challenge across the board, particularly in also, you know, larger value item e-commerce use cases. You're not necessarily going to be able to, to buy, I don't know, a car or pay for an expensive holiday with an open banking payment if you have a transaction limit. I think that's something that actually needs to be addressed going forward as well. 
as to how we move away from these limits. Well, maybe then, I suppose this is taking a bit of a step back, but the fact that obviously at, at the moment, I, I think there's, you mentioned Elixir, there's no kind of law mandating a, a new kind of entity as, as such. So, and I know that we're obviously awaiting, you know, reports from JROC and SWG. So that's one of the main things the industry is, is seeking clarity on. So what form this this future entity will take? Tom, are there any kind of stumbling blocks here? You know, what what's any indication of, of what we might expect that, that kind of form to take? It's a great question. I'm not sure that I have a, a great answer to it, frankly. What we can confidently say is there will be a successor to OBIE. How quickly it will materialize its power and remit. Whether the OBIE will transition into it or be wound down in parallel to this future entity being created, I think is an area where of, of ambiguity in itself. What legislation will be required to underpin it? Not just magic this entity out of thin air and then expect market participants fund this body. All of these things are still up in the air. So we're very much hoping that the government and regulators will answer some of these questions next month. There will need some strong political will, a can-do attitude from government to make it happen. Legislation would be required. The Treasury has its hand on the lever that controls everything as a consequence. It's been a team sport today with all parties coming together and airing their views. If we're to accelerate into this exciting, expansive new world of open banking in the UK and not be kept in a holding pattern, that really will be up to the government to decide. Nilixa, do you want to, to add anything there to, to what Tom said? I mean, it raised a really good point there, Tom, which is that obviously, how would a future entity even relate to the the kind of previous or current entity, the OBIE, really? Um, Nilixa, any, any thoughts on that? Uh, I think Tom's covered it very comprehensively. I think it's going to be uh, an interesting and, and challenging discussion as we move forward to find that equitable model that works for everybody in the market. Talking about that, I mean, I do keep hearing this word equitable and, you know, just to put that into context, maybe for, for listeners who who perhaps aren't aware, but up until this point, I, I guess it's fair to say that the, the largest nine banks in the UK, so the CMA9, as they're often called, have been kind of funding open banking up until now. And I guess that funding model is basically under review and, and you know, there's a sense from, from the UK system that they want something that's more equitable, so fairer, I suppose that means. Right, Tom, do, do you have any idea, you know, what form again that might take or, or what that word equitable kind of means in this particular sense? Yeah, I, I think we'll just all agree with that principle. Yeah, we're 100% agree that it does need to be equitably funded with a view to creating the sustainable ecosystem. We don't want any market participant to think of open banking as a compliance task or a punishment that's been foisted on them. You know, this, is, this is a really exciting opportunity for delivering fantastic customer experiences more safely, more cheaply. And we think everyone who plays a role in making open banking a reality should receive a fair return, something that incentivizes, drives that continuous innovation in this space. Yeah, absolutely. Funding the OBIE's successor, the future entity, must be done in an equitable manner across banks and fintechs. Until we know what that future entity looks like, it's really difficult to uh, to, to kind of start pricing that up. The other side of this, not as funding the future entity, people often sort of conflate it with commercial model as well around open banking. We think that's really important for things like making variable recurring payments 
become a reality in future more broadly than they are at the minute beyond these sort of me-to-me transactions. And that, again, means that you know banks and fintechs need to be appropriately compensated for the role that they play in the payments chain. Some banks have been more forthcoming than others in suggesting potential pricing frameworks, but there's still plenty of conversations to be had there before we find a viable solution. So I think, yeah, two elements here. The future entity, how's that going to be funded? And then secondly, what kind of commercial model in in a future world where more banks are involved in open banking beyond the CMA9 and you know, hopefully more fintechs as well are also able to participate? Does that dynamic work in a way that incentivizes innovation by all parties? Yeah, absolutely. I, I guess the positive take from that is that these conversations are happening and every part of the ecosystem is is involved. So look, I know that obviously we've talked about kind of a lot of unknowns really and know that technically it's being referred to as an, an interim state. So uh, the state between an old entity and the future one. And it does feel like the UK's open banking ecosystem is is kind of more in a limbo state, really. I guess, you know, I've heard lots of people voice concerns about kind of what this means and you know, for innovation, for for kind of not, you know, continuing on the open banking journey, let alone, uh, you know, reaching the kind of open finance smart data stages. So, Tom, perhaps we can start with you and then Elixir come in. What what longer term impact is this all having on on kind of the UK's global competitiveness? Yeah, another great question. So, EU really kicked off open banking from a policy perspective by revamping the Payment Services Directive years ago now. The UK kind of took it to the next level by specifying how the data should be shared between banks, third parties when consumers give them the authority to do so, and creating this central entity to oversee developments, open banking implementation entity. Since then, open banking has exploded around the world. You know, dozens of countries are looking to the UK as, as a leader in open banking regulation. They're not waiting to see what we do next. They're pressing on and evolving and maturing their own open banking visions and regulatory frameworks. So yeah, I think just very quickly on the EU side, I'm, I'm sure Elixir wants to ch- jump in on this bit, but Sols, they're, they're going to be announcing what's what's coming next for their regime in the middle of this year. The early signals are that it intends to evolve the payment services directive and introduce a new proposal looking at open finance. Australia, the market where GoCardless is active at the moment. It's got its consumer data right and it's developing that to uh, build in something called action initiation. But you know, you could sort of read that as being the ability to make payments part of their open banking regime. And even the US is getting in on the act. So that's a country which has today taken a very market-driven approach to open banking, unlike virtually every other country in the world which has used regulation to kickstart it. But the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the CFPB, developing this thing called the personal financial data right rule which will form the legal basis for open banking over there so we're really exciting stuff happening around the globe at the minute i guess for us it's 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 looking extremely promising also underlines the importance of next month's announcement by the uk government and the regulators if the ambition is for the uk to remain at the forefront of this process Nilixa, let's let's come to you. I'm I'm sure you'll agree with a lot of what Tom has said there. What do you think about kind of risks to competitiveness? I suppose chair of of the OFA. Absolutely agree with everything that Tom has said about where we've been on the open banking journey. I think that 
we should be exceptionally proud of the knowledge that we have been able to share across the globe on how we have worked towards the situation that we're in, how we were able to collectively work together. It was never easy, but I was at OBIE as well, uh, with all parts of the market to, to put in the ecosystem that we now have. And yes, we had the benefit of the CMA order that meant that open banking was a pretty funded startup at the time it was set up. But there was a lot of cooperation that did happen that got us to where we are. We, as Tom said, had that regulatory mandate. And I, I think we need to all be very clear that open banking anywhere is always going to impact competition. And the incentives for the supply side of the industry, and I think this is clear whether it's open banking or open finance, is always going to, or is never going to align necessarily with the incentives of the demand side of the industry. Open banking is a competition remedy for that very reason. And I think we need to think about going forward how we balance that with the fact that we also want to put in place commercial APIs. We see the need for commercial incentives to, as Tom said, not make this a compliance exercise. But I don't think that we are ever going to be able to move away from a legal mandate to drive the agenda forward. We've seen in jurisdictions, I, I would say that the, the prime example is, is, is Hong Kong, where it's been very much a market-led approach, has evolved very, very slowly. We've seen jurisdictions where uh, the, uh, I think the prime example is Brazil, which I think is top of the league tables at open banking these days, where the regulators took a really proactive approach in pushing it forward and they've actually moved beyond open banking. They're in open finance already uh, with the functionality that is proposed in their ecosystem. So I think we also, as a, as a jurisdiction, need to look across to all of these other jurisdictions and say, what can we take back? What are the lessons learned for us from these implementations? And then how do we move it forward so that we have a world-leading product? I think that, you know, the next few months are, are going to be crucial in setting the standards for that. And it's it's not, I think, too... I, I'm not telling anybody anything they don't know to say that how that is funded going forward is going to be key. It's going to be crucial to what we can achieve in the long run. Well, look, there's lots of, of food for thought there. And as you both pointed out, you know, hopefully by sort of end of March know a little bit more but for now thank you so much tom and elixir for joining me on the podcast thank you for having us sally thanks so much thanks again there to tom and elixir for joining me on the podcast i think as uh, you'll have heard there are a lot of unknowns in the uk at the moment but there's also a lot of positives to take from that and um, look we've had some brilliant guests on this podcast series recently so do check out the on-demand section of openbankingexpo.com. You'll find all the latest podcast episodes. There's also a, a recent TV episode if you'd like to watch rather than listen to something. Until next time, goodbye for now.